Happy Sabbath. It's always a nice moment for me to come up here and be with you on Sabbath. So I thank you for the kindred spirit I find up here. And I praise the Lord that he is so good to us. We can worship together on another Sabbath. So good to see all of you. I trust and hope and pray that you'll receive a blessing today that will definitely help you prepare for Christ's very soon coming. We have much to praise our God for. I've not had a chance yet to pray myself up here, so I'd like to have a prayer uh, to begin, and then we will uh, cover some things here this morning. Let's bow our heads. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we want to thank you that we can come to the throne of grace on the Sabbath day to make our request known to you. Lord, we want to claim your promise this morning that he that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So, Lord, we are coming to your throne today craving spiritual blessing, a knowledge of your word, and the presence of the Spirit of God in our midst and in our lives. I pray that the Lord Jesus will be magnified and that his truth will be made clear to us as we worship here and study here at the Brooklyn Church on this Sabbath. Thank you so much for hearing our prayer, Father. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm trying to think. I'm looking at the clock, and I'm going to try and be polite with the clock. And uh, there's always lots to say. But I read somewhere an inspired statement that said, short sermons will be remembered longer. So we'll try and get to the point today and cover some things. I had a chance to... Spend a week with the students at Heartland uh, in January. Real nice time with them. Um, spoke to them eight times and taught a couple classes. And there was a young man there, just a lovely Asian young man who uh, had been, um, well, the way he became an Adventist was he's from Burma. And there was some Adventists running a English school in a refugee camp. And he attended that English school in the refugee camp, and he became a Seventh-day Adventist. He's the only Seventh-day Adventist in his family, and he's over here studying, getting ready to do missionary work. Just a lovely young man. I asked him, I said, do you have a set of the conflict books? He said, no. I said, I will send them to you. Uh, just a lovely young man. It was really nice, really nice visit with him. Um, I'm going to try and share some things with you today. I do have a few handouts that I want to give to you. I'll explain those in a little bit further in our uh, study this morning. Um, I just feel like there are some things here that will, you know, really help you out. But I would like to comment. Uh, during Sabbath school class, uh, Askia and some of the others were talking about um, this papal visit um, this past week. It must have been on the 12th. I think it was on the 12th. But anyway, it was this past week, a very historic visit. Um, 
Mohammed bin Zayed, I believe the crown prince of the um, Arabian Peninsula, invited the Pope to come and inaugurate a year of tolerance. This is a huge uh, coming together of Catholicism and uh, Hinduism and so forth, um, or Mohammedism, either one or both. But anyway, you know, it makes you think of the Bible verse that says, and all the world wondered after the beast. And it says they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like unto the beast? As you well know, if you're looking at all, the last day events are going very rapidly. And I believe, brothers and sisters, that we are eminently looking towards Sunday laws being agitated on this planet and the final showdown of the great controversy is soon to come. God is holding back the four winds for the time to allow us time to get ready. But like in hide and seek, we say, ready or not, here I come. And they will come. So the time, probationary time that we have, may God help us to get ready for that time. There is a paragraph here in the book Great Controversy that I would like to read from because I believe uh, the entire book is extremely important. But this is one of those very important paragraphs in the book Great Controversy, and it's page 601. It's in the chapter called Our Only Safeguard. The scriptures are our only safeguard. And... On the first page of that chapter, page 593, it says, None, none, but those who have fortified their mind, their minds with the truths of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. None but those who have fortified their minds with the truths of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. So it should be a question in our minds, how can I pursue that fortification process in my own mind that I am sustained by the word of God? Okay. Now on page 601 here, I want to take a look at the statement that she makes in this chapter near the end. She said, it says here, it says, we are living in the most solemn period of this world's history. The destiny of earth's teeming multitudes is about to be decided. Our own future well-being and also the salvation of other souls depend upon the course which we now pursue. We need to be guided by the spirit of truth. Every follower of Christ should earnestly inquire, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? We need to humble ourselves before the Lord with fasting and prayer and to meditate much upon his word, especially upon the scenes of the judgment. We should now seek a deep and living experience in the things of God. We have not a moment to lose. 
Events of vital importance are taking place around us. We are on Satan's enchanted ground. Sleep not, sentinels of God. The foe is lurking near, ready at any moment. Um, in this paragraph, it says we are living in the most solemn period of this earth's history. You know, to me, one of the things that tremendously validates the writings of Ellen White as a prophet of God is that her writings were given to the world over a hundred years ago, and they increasingly give evidence of their inspiration as we see the fulfillment of the predictions that she has made. I have a friend who's read the book Great Controversy a lot. He told me some time back that within about a four-chapter section of this book describing last-day events, that he counted 300 different predictions that are made in those chapters. Pretty amazing. The first sentence that I just referred to you now is a prediction. It says, none but those who have fortified their minds with the truths of the Bible will stand through the, gla- the last great conflict. Um, she, in the, what we just read now, it says, uh, our, own, our own future well-being as well as the destiny of other souls depends upon the course which we now pursue. Now, I'd like for you to think about that a little bit because one of the things that the devil is going to do in these last days is try and heap up discouragement and opposition upon the soul of anyone who is striving to follow Christ. He's going to try and bear down on them and bring them to a point of weakness so that they will give up their pursuance of heaven But we must remember this, that if we are faithful and we enter the eternal city, it is a fact that by our influence there will be others who will enter the eternal city. And if we are not faithful in our course and we are absent from that eternal home, there will be others also who will lose out on their place in that eternal home simply by the fact of human influence. So just remember this. Your journey is affecting other people's journey. Your destiny will affect other people's destiny. And by the way, one of the best ways to help uh, yourself is to help others. I don't know the page, but in the book Christian Service, Ellen White describes a man who was walking in a terrible storm. Uh, The cold, the circumstances, the snow was terrible. And he had come to the point where he was going to give up. He saw no way of making it through. All at once, he came across another man on the same road path who had fallen down, and the man was yet alive. His compassion was aroused. He gathered the man up, either helped him walk or carried him back, uh, and they finally made it to safety. And when he got there, he realized that by saving that other man, he had saved himself. And in Revelation chapter 12, it says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Someone out there needs to hear your voice and to have your influence. You have a work to do. But she says in this chapter or this paragraph, she says we are living in the most solemn period of this earth's history. Everybody should inquire, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And then it says we need to humble ourselves before the Lord with fasting and prayer and to meditate much upon his word, especially upon the scenes of the judgment. 
because we now live in the time when the gospel is proclaiming the gospel and also the hour of God's judgment has come. We all have a case. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We must understand from the word of God how to be ready for that time. Um, this is just absolutely imperative. By the way, I understand that sometime in the near future, you're going to have a sermon from this pulpit on 1844. I hope that every one of you will be here. Our brother sitting on the platform is going to share that message with you. Very, very important material. But in this chapter here, it's ta- or in this paragraph and chapter, it's talking about, it says we need to humble ourselves before the Lord with fasting and prayer and to meditate much upon his word. Fasting, prayer, meditation. Those are all Christian disciplines that if they are practiced will give tremendous traction and a lot of gain and uh, progress in the Christian life. Fasting, prayer, meditation. Now when you read the Sermon on the Mount that Christ preached, when he gave instructions on things uh, that should be associated with proper prayer to the Lord, He said, when ye pray, he didn't say, if ye pray, our commander-in-chief expects us to pray. He says, when ye pray, do such and such. Look, just after that, in the sequence of the passage, you will read where Jesus says, when ye fast. He didn't say, if ye fast. He said, when ye fast. Okay? And then we are told we should meditate much upon his word. You know, it is impossible for the human mind to see all that is in the word of God, even by 50 readings of the same text. It's impossible. The Bible was presented by human beings under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. It is a revelation of the divine mind. And there is an unending depth and expansion to these promises. I have a little book here. It's called The Book of Evangelism. And on page 256, it says this. It says, the more we look at the promises of God, the brighter they will shine. The more we look at the promises of God, the brighter they will shine. The more we practice them, the deeper will be our understanding of them. Now, I believe that we are approaching the Sunday law crisis, the end of time, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of things we need to give attention to, a lot of preparation. But one of those things is meditation on the word of God. Okay? Now, I have some handouts here for you, but I only have one handout on how to meditate. It's five pages. Anybody, though, who wants a copy of that, they will give me their address. Their address, I will mail it to them. And if you will write down your email address, I will email that to you. So if you want a copy of the meditation paper, I have five pages on the value of meditation, how to do it, um, and how to meditate on the Word of God. All right? So if anybody wants that, just pull me aside and say, here's my email. By the way, if you write, I'm, I'm going to have to make sure I can read your writing and so forth, but I'll send you one. Um, If there is one chapter in the Bible, and I would encourage you to memorize chapters from the Bible. 
But if you only memorize one chapter from the Bible, may I suggest a chapter for you to memorize as we are now coming down to the end of time, and it would be Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Now here's what I would suggest in order to get it in your mind. Read it carefully twice every day. At the end of the month, you have read it 60 times, and if you... Whether you have it memorized or not at the end of the first month, keep working at it and continue on for at least another month, twice a day on that chapter. And you will have gone over it carefully 120 times, and you should very well have it memorized by that time and have seen a lot of the blessings in it. You know, one of the verses in Romans chapter 8, Paul says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Tremendous promises. You read on down in the chapter, he says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. How many of you have read or heard the story of the seventh-day ox? The seventh-day ox. Pretty wonderful story. We've read it twice for Sabbath worship uh, over the last couple years. It takes about three hours to read, so we spend some time reading on it. Tremendous story. Uh, about, I'll just tell it to you very quickly. A Ukrainian pastor was um, taken by the KJB. They put pressure on him to divulge the names and whereabouts of his church members, which he refused to do. They said, okay, off with you. And they sent him off to Siberia to a camp that had no fence. It needed no uh, fence because it didn't matter if you got away anyway, you wouldn't survive anyway. It was out in the middle of nowhere. The first Sabbath, he refused to work. He was beaten severely. Took him a couple days or so to recover. He went back to work. The next Sabbath, he refused to work. They then put him in a little box about barely big enough for a good-sized man to be in, which he was, and they left him there for 10 days. No water the first three days and no food the entire time. Uh, He had no exit privileges. He was there in that box. So they finally let him out. He went to work for a few days. Next Sabbath came around. He would not work. So they put him back in the box again for 10 more days. This went on for two years. Now, brothers and sisters, if you and I are ever in any circumstance like that, I would think it would be a wonderful thing to have some wonderful promises in your mind. You know, when Paul says in Romans chapter 8, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall persecution or distress or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, he says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now you tell me, brothers and sisters, where in human literature is there anything that compares to that passage? Oh, it might be, but it's somewhere in the Bible. Tremendous promises that we have. Get those in your mind. Finally, after two years, a superior came to examine the camp. He happened to see this man um, in the ox barn, and he said to the manager of the prison, he said, what's this? The manager said, well, he won't work. 
Well, that wasn't true. He would work. He would work as hard as he could six days a week. So the truth came out, and the the visiting inspector had a little more compassion than the resident manager. He says, why don't you find something for this man to do? He said, okay. He said he can call, haul all the water for the 300 prisoners, and if he can get that ox to haul enough water in six days for all seven days, he can have his Sabbath off. Well, it's quite a trip. You hauled 800 pounds of water at a time in two 50-pound, or excuse, excuse me, two 50-gallon barrels. And um, so um, Nikolai was the man's name. He really pushed it. He started late the first week, about Tuesday or so, but by Thursday night he knew there was no way, there was no way they were going to haul enough water at the rate they were going for a Sabbath. But he got up that morning, he went to the, to the ox barn, he hooked up the cart, and uh, the ox was acting like a different animal. He was pawing, rearing to go, and that ox like went like there's no tomorrow. By noon, they had enough water for Friday, and before sundown, he had enough water for Sabbath, and he got his Sabbath off. Isn't that amazing? So the next week, he pushed and pushed that ox, got very little ahead. He was pretty discouraged. He didn't know something weird. He did, He just, he didn't, he couldn't see the future. So the second Friday morning, he went to the cafeteria to get his breakfast, and so one of the other prisoners said, you know what? They said, you better get back to that barn. That ox is going to tear that building down. He said he's acting like a crazy ox. He went back, hooked the ox up. They hauled enough water on Friday, like lightning speed for the ox, to uh, water the camp over Sabbath. He got his second Sabbath off. That went on for eight years. Every Friday on Preparation Day, that ox acted like a different animal. And he kept his Sabbath, but the man would not back down. He baptized one of the prisoners there secretly, but the Lord gave results. I didn't mean to take time on that story, but what I wanted you to encourage you to do is, is that when we're in circumstances like that, we need to be fortified by the Word of God. Ellen White, in the book Great Controversy, quotes one of the reformers named Latimer as, as describing what the Bible contains, and he says the Bible the scriptures partake of the might and eternity of it, of their author. In other words, the very divine power is in the, the word of God. Now, I just want to comment very briefly on these handouts that I want to give you here. I do have a handout on fasting. Okay? Very short reading, but I think you'll find it interesting. Um... I'm going to give you my opinion. I'm going to give you a couple of my opinions. Please, you got to, a lot of life, you just got to take information, then experiment with it. But here's a, here's, a, here's a couple of my opinions. Number one, here's my opinion. Most people should fast at least one or two meals a week. I'm not going to tell you how much I fast. At least not now. But most people, in my opinion, I'm just giving you my opinion. I'm, not just, I'm preaching my opinion now, not the word of God. This is my opinion, but it's based on the Word of God. In my opinion, most people ought to fast at least one or two meals a week, okay? I think you'll be impressed to fast when uh, you read these papers um, because of what it does for your... And, of course, you've got to get physical exercise, physical activity. I'm also handing out a little paper that I gleaned and condensed material from Barbara O'Neill on one of her presentations on a, a exercise method. I've been doing it for the last two and a half months, and I must say... Um, I am getting results, okay? 
It's called high-intensity interval training. It doesn't take any more of your time. You just incorporate right into your exercise program. If you're walking, you can do it. If you're running, you can do it. If you're riding a bike, you can do it. If you're bouncing on a rebounder, you can do it. You can incorporate this. It's very self-explanatory. But one of the things that's exciting about it is athletes use it. It gives them a competitive edge in competition. It definitely um, perks up mental function, physical function. And they have also found that when you do this uh, interval training, it causes the body to burn fat more efficiently. And here's something else that's really exciting. They have discovered since 1998 that when you do this interval training, as well as at least a 24-hour fast once a week, that it, uh, it causes the brain to release a protein and they call this neurogenesis, and they have found that the brain actually makes new brain cells. Hmm. I could use quite a few of those. Anyway, I've, my boys stapled these together. There's three papers here, and if you want the one on meditation, you're welcome. You're welcome to have that. Okay. Um, now, I'd like to talk to you just a little bit about the study of the Bible in chapter. Uh, um, 37 here, it's called the scriptures are only safeguard. Okay. Now, if you'll notice in the sequence of chapters in the book, Great Controversy, you have this chapter, the scriptures are only safeguard, and then you have the final warning. In other words, the final warning is going to be given under the laterine power. All right. Brothers and sisters, one of the components that has to be existing in our Christian experience is that we are feeding on the word of God in order to give the latter rain loud cry. It's just got to be. So in order for the latter rain to be coming, uh, we've got to be into the word. And, um, you know, just like driving up here, um, I'm working on memorizing a book in the New Testament, and there was three chapters. I went over them twice in my memory. Just when I have spare time, I'm going to feed on the word. I'm going to feed on it. Okay. So I want to encourage you to do that. Now, there is a statement. I'd like for you to take your Bibles. In fact, I'd like for you to look at a couple statements in the book of Peter. First off, if you would go to the first book of Peter, first Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one, verse 23. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. 1 Peter 1, 23. Peter says, being born again. Being born again. How? Yeah, yeah. By the, by the word of God. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. By the word of God. God. The source of power for the new birth is the word of God. Now, I'd like for you to take your Bibles and open to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. These are both probably well-known passages. 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 4. Second Peter 1, 4. Peter says this, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers. Thank you. Of the divine nature 
having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Brothers and sisters, this text alone should be so inspiring to us that we would make as much progress as we can in meditating on the word and memorizing it. By the way, uh, just a little uh, recommendation for you. When it comes to memorizing verses and chapters, first go for quality and then go for quantity. And in the end, you will get more of both. You'll get more quantity and quality if you first go for quality. In other words, what I'm saying is once you memorize a verse, really ingrain it in the mind, really fix it in the mind so you can think down through it or a chapter, you really got it there. You not only have every verse memorized, you have all the connections between the verses memorized, and you can really go down through that like you're reading it, okay? Really, and besides in that very process, you know, if you're, uh, if you had, and we would all love this, we think they, it seems as if the Antediluvians had it. They had an unimpaired memory, we are told in the book uh, Patriarchs and Prophets, unimpaired memory. Uh, but even in, let's say we had an unimpaired memory, let's say we had a photographic memory, even if you did, if you read the Bible through only once, you're not going to derive the benefit from it that comes by lingering and drinking over the word of God. You know, uh, Luther, they say, uh, Wiley says, would sometimes spend a whole day meditating on one verse in the Bible. He's <laughs> quite a quite a man yet. Uh, and, you know, in, in our, our pioneers that raised up this church, we have some pretty splendid inspiration. They say that if J.N. Andrews had no Bible, he could reproduce the New Testament. That's about 270 chapters, and he could read the Bible in seven different languages. I mean, these people went after it. So, you know, if J.N. Andrews can memorize 270 chapters, I ought to be inspired to memorize at least one. Right? Okay. I'd like to read to you a, a, a statement here from uh, the book Evangelism. I did refer to you a few moments to the one on page 256 where she says, the more we look at the promises of God, the brighter they will shine. The more we practice them, the deeper will be our understanding of them. This is a little statement here on page 138 in the book Evangelism. Those who do the work of the Lord in our cities must close and bolt the doors firmly against excitement and fanaticism. Okay. Then this, then this, uh, sentence. Listen very carefully to this sentence. It says, the word of God is our sanctification and righteousness because it is spiritual food. To study it is to eat the leaves of the tree of life. Nothing is more uplifting to God's servants than to teach the scriptures just as Christ taught them. So I'm going to read the uh, first sentence again. It says, the word of God is, and I'm going to leave out uh, one word. I'm not violating the meaning, but I want to emphasize something that she has placed here in the statement. Then I'll reread the sentence as she wrote it, okay? I'm going to leave out a word. It said, I'm going to read it here. It says this. The word of God is our righteousness. Now, the statement says the word of God is our sanctification and righteousness. But it says exactly what, how I read it too, because it is spiritual food. To study it is to eat of the leaves of the tree of life. 
So, Peter says you're born again by the word of God. He says you're made a partaker of the divine nature by the word of God, so we should be feeding on the word of God. All right. Now, the better your mind is, the more receptive you can be to the word of God. That's why we should maintain, you know, uh, thank you for the children's story on the health message. In the fifth volume of the testimonies, we were told that if you eat healthy food, you're more susceptible to the Holy Spirit. The fact of the matter is, is that if you do some fasting, you'll be more susceptible to the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit lives resident in the human soul where he's invited to come in. And the better the invitation, the better the is is because of the better the condition of the health. So we should, you know, really work on our health. But I really like this statement here. It says that um, the word of God is our righteousness. Okay. It's, it's, yeah, go ahead. 138. Evangelism, page 138 at the bottom of the page. The word of God is our, our, our righteousness. So there's all kinds of wonderful promises in the word of God. Now, uh, look, if you're like me, the devil's after you. Okay? If you're like me, you have a fallen carnal nature. Okay? Now, I want to give you a little lesson here on how to trap a monkey. Because if you learn how to trap a monkey, you will learn about human nature and how to depend on Christ. Okay? Never heard about how to trap a monkey. Before I tell you how to trap a monkey, I want to for you to ponder briefly what Paul says in Romans chapter 7. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. If then I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Then he concludes the chapter by saying, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. The answer to this dilemma is Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can deliver us from the weakness of human nature, the carnal, carnality of it, or the power of Satan. Amen. He's the only one. Okay? In fact, the only successful antagonist that sin has ever met, that is the only successful enemy that sin has ever met, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. The principle of sin is a very powerful principle, and you and I, unaided, will be completely controlled by it. This is why we must have righteousness by faith. The Lord will not only forgive us of our sins, but through his word he will come and live resident in the soul, and it is Christ in you that will work out the law. As our dear young brother read this morning, 
For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. So here's how you catch a monkey. Okay? Do you know what a gourd is? A gourd is like a, uh, uh, has a bowl, it's a, 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 like a squash that's dried and it's got a bell at the bottom and then a neck that comes up off of it. That's the general thing. And then they get dried out and some people use them for birdhouses or whatever else, but they're dried and they're pretty hard. And, and, uh, so what they do to catch a monkey, they watch where the monkeys are frequently around and they'll take the gourd and they'll open up the top of the gourd. They make the gourd so that the monkey can reach down into that gourd. And they'll put down in there some bait, a piece of fruit, a nut. And uh, once that monkey get, and then they tie that gourd to a tree. And so the monkey comes along, he reaches down in there for the bait. And he gets a hold of that bait and he will not let go. He is controlled by his covetousness. And then they come after him. And if he was smart, he would let go of that meal and run, find another one and still be free. But he's so controlled by his covetousness, his sin, that he hangs on to that and they catch the monkey. And you see, the devil has studied human nature and he knows human nature. And he knows how to get at us. And brothers and sisters, the only success against temptation that you can I can have is by depending totally upon Christ. Amen. You know, in the book, Great Controversy, it makes me think in uh, page triple five in the book, Great Controversy, it says that Satan studies every single individual to see what sins they're inclined to commit. And then he takes care to try and bring out about circumstances to tempt them to, to commit that particular thing. Well, brothers and sisters, God's going to have a people in this these last days who have all kinds of weaknesses, and they're going to completely overcome them by depending upon Christ. Amen. They are going to do that. Amen. So God is going to give them the victory over, uh, over these things. Now, I have read, there is a book, this one is called Wounded in the House of His Friends. The first one is called The Return of the Latter Rain by a brother named Ron Duffield. Uh, I really like these books because they give a presentation of history. And by the way, the brother had no intention of publishing books when he started out. He was simply on a journey to learn about Adventist history. But his books are wonderful. But he shows how the latter rain was rejected uh, in 1888. Brothers and sisters, you know, here we are. We're almost to 2020. I remember coming up to the year 2000, thinking what a significant year that was. Uh, we have nothing to pat ourselves on the back for. We should be right now walking on the streets of gold in the eternal world and be standing on the sea of glass before our Heavenly Father and be traveling throughout the entire universe and meeting the angels and those who have never fallen. We should not be here in this church on this Sabbath day. But God is going, to, and I believe we're coming right into it, God is going to have a people that are so serious about the second coming of Christ, about eternity, and about, and about spiritual things, that God is going to have a people ready for that time. Okay, But I want to read to you a passage here. This is some dialogue that was going on um, with some of the brethren, um, A.T. Jones, and then there's a quote in here from Ellen White. And I believe that this statement that I'm going to read to you, you will find very helpful. Now, keep in mind that the Laodicean message is the message to our uh, us as a people now. Now, all seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 apply to God's people now. 
All seven churches, the messages to all seven churches apply to God's people. Because it says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. But the special emphasis that we are to especially embrace of those seven is the Laodicean message. And Jesus plainly says in the Laodicean message, he says, um, I would thou art hot or cold. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Um, I'll just make a quick little comment here. You know, the, the, the number seven is uh, God's favorite number. And it's maybe that he's going to get his favorite group. Well, not quite, but almost his favorite group out of this, those who will respond the most. But anyway, when you read the Laodicean message, the temperature is mentioned seven times. I would thou art hot or cold. Um, um, He says, I know thy works that thou art neither... Cold nor hot, I would thou art cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. There you have it uh, seven times, the temperature is mentioned. But anyway, Jesus goes on in the message and he says, um, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Laodicea's problem is, is that the divine physician says, You are in a condition spiritually that is deplorable. In other words, it's referred to as wretched. All right? And the even bigger problem is, is that Laodicea says, you know what? Lord, we're doing really good. We're rich and increased with goods. In other words, the reason Jesus is having a problem getting his people ready is because we do not sufficiently feel our sinfulness and our need of him, so we're not depending upon him as we should. Once he has a people who feels their sinfulness and their condition, they're going to seek Christ with all their heart. He's going to fill them with his righteousness, and the latter rain is going to be poured out. I want to read to you, allow me to read just a little bit from this book. That same evening, Jones continued his lecture where he'd left off the night before. Some had obviously been questioning some of his comments from that lecture for they wanted to know how someone could acknowledge himself miserable, poor, blind, and naked, and yet at the same time be rejoicing in the Lord. Jones responded, I would like to know how anyone else can, unless he recognizes his true condition. In other words, he's saying, how else but can you rejoice in the Lord unless you realize your need of him and your sinful condition? To bring his point more clearly, Jones quoted Ellen White's statement from Testimony 31. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Not if you do not acknowledge yourselves erring, helpless, condemned sinners. I'm going to read this again. Are you in Christ? Not if you do not acknowledge yourselves erring, helpless, condemned sinners. That's a quote from Ellen White. Jones then drew this conclusion. This is what some of the brethren say they can't see. They say, I can't see how, if I am in Christ, I am to acknowledge myself a helpless, undone sinner. I thought if I was in Christ, then I would thank the Lord that I was good, sinless, entirely perfect, sanctified, and all that. Why no? And then Jones says, why no? He is, meaning Jesus is all that, not me. Now watch. When you are in Christ, he is perfect, 
He is righteous. He is holy and never errs. And his holiness is imputed to you, is given to you. His faithfulness, his perfection is mine, but I am not that. Now, this is not saying that the soul is not in obedience to God, but here's the point. The point is, is that it's only as Christ is resident in the soul that we can truly live the righteousness of Christ. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers it. So think about it. What um, our brother read this morning for the scripture lesson. uh, Where Paul says, uh, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. That's why Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So here's the way I see it. By faith, we come to Jesus. We give our hearts to him. He gives us a new heart. We depend on the word of God alone. We depend on the word of God alone, not our feelings. We depend on the word of God alone, and we keep clinging to the word of God. Then, as we go throughout our day, and we're tempted to think wrong, do wrong, or act wrong, we refuse that by faith in Christ, and we say no to it, and we choose to do what's right. Okay? Now, I'm almost done, unless you want to stay till supper time. I don't think you do. Okay? Um... I was going to read you something. It just slipped my mind. Sorry about that. Anyway, I think you um, maybe heard enough today. Oh, I know what it is. <clears throat> I do want to wrap it up with this. I have a statement here. I should have it. This to me is a very interesting statement and it shows how we are to cooperate with God by faith. And I will finish with this. This is what I wanted to read. This reference is the fifth volume of the testimonies, page 554. Now, you are not a school or a sanitarium or a hospital, but you are a church. So you are an institution in that sense, okay? So this applies to institutions and individuals. But to me, this is very interesting. Testimonies Ministers, page 554, volume 5, page. Testimonies for the Church, page 554. I think I'm wearing down a little bit here. 5T554, that's the reference. Now I'm going to read it. If all that the Lord has spoken in reference to these things had been heeded, our institutions would today occupy a higher and holier place than they do. Please listen carefully to this. If all that the Lord has spoken in reference to these things had been heeded, our institutions would today occupy a higher and holier place than they do. But men have been satisfied with small attainments. They have not sought with all their might 
to rise in mental, moral, and physical capabilities. They have not felt that God required this of them. They have not realized that Christ died that they might do this very work. They have not sought with all their might to rise in mental, moral, and physical capabilities. They have not felt that God required this of them. They have not realized that Christ died that they might do this very work. As a result, they are far behind what they might be in intelligence and in the ability to think and plan. They could have added virtue to virtue and knowledge to knowledge and thus have become strong in the Lord. But this they have failed to do. Let each go to work now with a firm determination to rise The present need of the cause is not so much for more men as for greater skill and consecration in the laborers. Isn't that interesting? Let me close by saying this from Romans 8.1. We already quoted it. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. My question to you is, are you in Christ Jesus? Because if you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. You are a child of God. But in order to have that condition, you must have faith in Christ. Read Great Controversy Chapter 7 about the life of Martin Luther. Read all through the Bible how to have faith in Christ. But may God help us to cooperate with him to become all that we can be because God is looking for modern-day Luthers, Daniels, Pauls, Johns who will give this message and it will be representatives of Christ and his character. For the glory of God, we are so unworthy. But praise God, Jesus loves us, and the cross is very powerful. May God bless you. Let's sing our closing song. We turn our hymnal to hymn 602, and as you find it, shall we stand and sing together. 602, Brother Be Faithful, fitting song after all the beautiful words that we, Brother Ken, has shared with us today. Oh,
Just before we pray, I would like to make a challenge for you to give your very best to Christ. And I don't know if there's anyone here, but please, if there's anyone here that's not committed to Christ, that has not given your life to Christ, please do it now. I just had a friend who I canvassed with years ago, not much older than I am. He suddenly died just a few days ago of a heart attack. You know, life is uncertain. Please do not put it off. Live for the Lord. He's coming soon. We must be ready. I have a handout if anybody would like it. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its mighty power. We thank you that through the promises, we can become a partaker of the divine nature. I pray, Lord, that thou would help us, as your word has said, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Bless us. Make us a light in Cleveland. Use us to reach precious souls in these last days. And I pray that our hearts will be filled with compassion for one another and for the lost, knowing that we all have a heaven to win and a hell to shun. But we cannot do it in our own power. So please come to our assistance and help us, as your word has said, the just shall live by faith. Bless those assembled here for worship, and I ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.